good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. Man, we're so glad you guys are here. Was that not awesome worship today? Yeah, it was good. It was good. I mean, you know, I love being able to just celebrate who God is and uh, just being in among his people as they're worshiping is a powerful place. And I know, you know, Matt kind of challenged some of you guys there at the end, kind of getting you to sing out. And there was some little kid back in here that was giving it their all. And uh, man, I love that. And so the thing is, is, you know, when we worship, we're to pour out our heart before him. We're not worried about who's around us. We're just worried about him, right? That's the focus. And so uh, I love it whenever we worship in truth and in spirit like that. If you guys are, uh, are new to the church, welcome. Uh, if we are in a series called Instructions Included, we've been teaching through the Ten Commandments. Today we're on number eight. And I know we've got uh, a lot of families that are new. Over the last couple of weeks we've had uh, new families. And, and so part of what we've been doing is we've been teaching through the T- Ten Commandments. And, uh, and so there's a couple of verses that I'm going to share today that kind of set up what the Ten Commandments were about. And, uh, but today we're covering one that most of us in this room would agree with and uh, that we go, we recognize and we know, you know what, that's a pretty simple one. So why are we doing a whole message on just that one little statement? And so if you've got your outlines, take it out, you can kind of follow along. But it says, you must not steal, Exodus twenty fifteen. That's kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, we look at that and we go, all right, that's, that's a given. Uh, most, most everybody in here would say, you know, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't take what is not yours. But the thing is, there's a whole lot more in that verse than I think sometimes we want to acknowledge. And, uh, and so, look at what this statement says here. It says, anytime we take anything that belongs to someone else or withhold that which rightly belongs to another, we have broken this commandment. I think we're going to find today that many of us have broken this commandment more, more ways than we want to admit. You know, it's easy to sit there and say, well, I've never stole a car. I've never stole this, never stole that. But there's other ways that we rob people and God. And, and so I want us to kind of dig into that. So there's a statement here. And uh, parents, we've been talking about this throughout this series that, you know, Moses is telling the, the nation of Israel. He said, hey, guys, parents, you've got to teach your children these truths. You've got to teach them every chance you get. And so parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children how to live with honesty and integrity. We have a responsibility. So let me just say this to every parent in the room. You might say, well, I'm not a parent yet. You may be one day. And so this is important for you to understand. We have a responsibility as parents to teach our children honesty and integrity. And we're to focus on those things. Focus on what honesty is. Focus on, on, on what integrity is. And, and, and so the thing is, is whenever we teach those things, and I'll just say this, we teach more about what we do than what we say. How we live rather than what we speak or preach or teach sometimes. And so as we all know, actions speak louder than words. So parents have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility as parents to teach our children how to live with honesty and integrity. So this next passage here, I don't think it's in your notes, but it's going to be here on the screens. It's the great Shema. And this is what the nation of Israel would say every morning and every night. And it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all your strength. Now that Jesus would come along and say, that's the greatest commandment. It says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. That's the great Shema. And what it's saying, hey, listen, parents, talk about these. Teach these to your children. And what we have a tendency to do sometimes as parents is we, we hope that someone else will have those conversations. Like last week, we talked on... We talked about sexual immorality. We talked about, you know, not committing adultery. But we also unpacked, you know, that that is for, for uh, within the confines of marriage. And so there were some families who had to go home and have a conversation last week. 
And I don't mind being a catalyst for that. Some people probably thought, well, I don't know if he should have been teaching on that. I should be teaching on God's Word. You should be teaching your kids. And so that's the way it should work. So we've got to be willing to say, hey, listen, let's make sure that they're learning from who they should be learning from and not from some TV program, not from some kid who doesn't know how it works, but teach them God's plan and God's purpose for intimacy within a marriage. So today we're talking about stealing. We're talking about not stealing. You must not steal. And so look at what it says here in uh, John fourteen twenty one. It says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. This is Jesus teaching. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So Jesus is saying, we are to follow these commands. We're to follow the commands that have been given, the Scriptures. Jesus was a, he was a follower of the commands that were in the Scriptures. And, and so I want you guys to understand something. We're not going back and saying, hey, listen, we're going to teach the Old Testament because we're going to try to follow a bunch of rules and regulations. That, that's not what this message is about or this series is about. But it does show us that there is a divine standard. There has to be some type of standard, something to kind of measure things by, to know what is right and to know what is wrong. We live in a culture where everything seems to be okay. Anything that you want to do, hey, as long as it doesn't offend anybody, and now we don't really care about that. It's just, hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it offends a God. You do whatever you want to do. You be yourself. You do whatever you want to do. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture says that there is a standard. There's a, a divine standard. And so when we look back at the, the New Testament or look back at the Old Testament, we see the Ten Commandments. What they do is they begin to line out some things that nobody could keep. And like I said, I think some of you guys are going to see that you're more guilty of this, this uh, commandment today of breaking it than you think. And so what happens is, is we look back and the, what the Ten Commandments reveal, what the law revealed, is that we would never measure up. We would always fall short. There's nobody in this room that could keep every commandment. There's nobody in here, even the Pharisees who tried with all they could, they were trying to live up to a standard, they couldn't get it. And so by... By the amazing grace of God, God provided a way to have a right relationship with Him. Not by following every letter of the law, but by putting our faith in Christ, Jesus, who was the perfect Lamb. And so because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are able to approach God. We're able to have a relationship with God. We're to be in right standing with God. Not because of any following laws or rules, but because of our faith in Christ and Christ alone are we able to approach God. And so let's look at this again. So here's a question I think that every one of us have to ask today. It's not whether or not you've stolen, but the question is, are you a giver or a taker? Are you a giver or a taker? It kind of changes it a little bit. Are you a giver or a taker? Because a lot of you in this room, like I said, you're already sitting there going, probably already beginning to justify where you are and how you are as to whether or not you have stolen. And maybe some of you guys are trying to think back, you know, I've never stolen anything. All right, well, let's dig. Are you a giver or a taker? It says in Ephesians 4, 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. This is Paul teaching. He said, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for a good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. So those are three major principles we want to unpack today that kind of line up with this passage we're talking about out of Exodus 20, verse 15. So are you a giver or a taker? So three principles to pass on to our children. Number one, our children need us to teach them integrity. Moms and dads, parents, aunts, uncles, grand, grandparents, whatever you might be, you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to teach my children what is integrity. And we do more of a teaching that by what we do than by what we say. And, and so the thing is, is we have a responsibility to teach our children integrity because it's becoming a dying thing. You know, I mean, it's got to where, hey, anything goes like we talked about, but it's got to be something where we say, you know what, integrity matters. And, and so... It, our children need to, uh, we need to teach them about integrity. Our relationship with others. 
This comes into play with our relationship with others, having integrity in our relationship with others. I can remember whenever I was growing up as a kid, and I grew up in a home where my mom and dad were not necessarily what I would call followers of Christ. Um, went to church sporadically, um, but never really what I would consider committed followers of Christ. And, you know, and, uh, and so my dad was an alcoholic. He was a gambleholic. And uh, he just, uh, he wasn't known as a man of integrity or of great character, just being straight up. Now, I tell people all the time, I said, I can talk about my dad, but don't you talk about my dad. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's one of those deals. And so, uh, so my dad was not a man of great character and integrity. And I can remember uh, one night we were sitting around the, the, the table, and uh, my dad was notorious for running out of gas. Any of you guys have a family member like that, always ran out of gas? My, my dad grew up where you put $2 in. And back then, you know, 33 cents a gallon, that was quite a few gallons. Well, now, you know, then it got to where it was more than that, and he put $2 in and run out. And I'm like, why don't you fill it up, dude? But he just never would. So dad, my dad was always running out of gas, and he was always losing a gas cap. And so I saw on the truck, you know, uh, the truck w- was missing a gas cap. And I said, Daddy, I said, I noticed that you uh, don't have a gas cap. Do you want me to go buy DAPs? That was discount auto parts back then. Do you want me to go by there and pick up a gas cap? And he goes, no, I'll, I'll pick one up. I said, well, I'm going by there. I've got to go get something. And uh, he said, no, nah. he said, uh, I'm going out to the dog track. He said, somebody out there have one. And I'm like, what? And he said, there'll be another truck out there like mine. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, Daddy, I said, I can buy a $2 gas cap back then, probably 2 or $3. I said, are you saying you're going to steal one? He said, I'm just going to borrow it. And so that was kind of my, my, my home growing up. That's my dad's mentality. He was a little bit of an outlaw. I mean, it's like when it came to hunting, you know what I mean? He would say, hey, Mike, go and get your gun. Let's ride down the road and see if there's any deer on the road. That was kind of the mentality I grew up with, you know. And, uh, and I can remember another time with my mom. My mom, we were at the grocery store, and, uh, we, you know, we lived in 8 Mile, Alabama. And uh, 8 Mile was not necessarily, you know, upper class or anything like that. So we're, we're, in a, we're in the grocery store, and I'm there not because I want to be, but I'm kind of pushing a buggy and kind of got my head down, probably aggravated that I'm having to be there. And anyways, I'm pushing the buggy, and I see a $20 bill on the floor. And I pick it up, and I look at my mom and say, hey, look there, it's $20. And she goes, hurry up, put it in your pocket. And I'm like, well, that's probably somebody dropped that. And she said, just put it in your pocket and hush. And I'm feeling, I'm like, I feel bad. And I'm sticking it in my pocket, you know. And, and so I'm pushing the buggy, and I see this guy walking by. And, man, he's, he's checking every pocket he's got, you know. And, and I'm like, that's probably his. And she goes, just be quiet. And I felt terrible. And so here's the thing is, I knew it was his, but I was withholding what I knew was his, and so I was stealing. And so what happens, you might say, well, might you, but your parents, it doesn't matter. I said, I knew, see, I knew what was right, and it was bothering me. And, and so the thing is, is I, I, I could either do what was right or I could do what was wrong. I, did, I chose to do what was wrong. I, you know, I did what my parents modeled for me and taught me. Now, some of you in this room, you may have grown up in a home like that, where your parents were always looking for a, an easy deal or... Or maybe picking up stuff that wasn't theirs. You know, we, we just got through last year. It seemed like everybody, you know, was talking about these, uh, these people that would come up and get your package off your door. I mean, I don't know anybody that likes a thief. Everybody I know hates a thief. Even a thief hates a thief. Isn't that crazy? A thief hates a thief. If a, if a thief steals something, somebody steals it from him, man, he's aggravated. You know what I'm saying? You hate a thief. But the thing is, is it's everywhere, it seems, because here's the thing. We've stopped teaching integrity. we stopped teaching integrity. And so our children need us to teach them integrity, our relationships with others, how we treat the people around us. And so here's a question. When it comes to others, are you a giver or a taker? Are you a giver or a taker? Do you give to people who have need or are you always on the take? Are you always looking for a handout? Are you always looking for something free? Are you always looking for, hey, you know, hey, they, hey they, they're giving this away. I'm going to go give them. Do you need them? No, I don't need them, but I'm going to go get them because they're free. How many, and be honest, how many guys, whenever you go to like a trade show, 
you go around trying to get every pen you can get, every squishy ball you can get. You're not going to ever use those companies, but you're going to get the free stuff. Be honest. Let's see if there's a real confession here today. Man, yeah, a few of you are honest. The rest of you guys. Here, but here's the thing. A lot of times we always want something free. We're a taker. Man, we want, we want somebody to bless us. We want somebody to take care of us. But rarely do we have the mentality, I want to give to somebody. And so are you a giver or a taker in your relationships? Look at what it says here. Does what you say build people up or tear them down? Do you give compliments? Do you give, you know, praise? Do you give adoration to people? Do you let them know, you know, what you, you know, hey, man, you're doing a great job. Or, man, I appreciate all that you do. Or are you always tearing people down? Are you always tearing people down? So with your words, are you building up? Are you tearing down? Because it's one or the other. Look at what it says in Ephesians 4.29. Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say, and underline that, if you will, in your notes, everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And so what we, we have a tendency to do is if, if you're, you struggle with insecurity like I did growing up, I was fairly insecure, I was always trying to figure out something wrong or find something wrong with somebody else to make me feel better about myself. Now, I didn't realize that until I was dating my wife in college, and, and, I, and I said something about somebody, and Laura goes, you're always trying to find something wrong with somebody. She goes, is that because you feel so bad about yourself? And dude, it was like a nosebleed. I was like, whoa, man, she got me. That was a good one. You know, and I was like, she was spot on. And it was like she spoke truth into my life, and it was like a light illuminated that area of my life that was sick. And understand, that I was sick. I was sin sick. And, and I was insecure. And so I'm trying to make myself feel better about me by putting other people down. And some of you are guilty of that. Your words are, you're always negative Nancy. You're always running somebody down. You're always trying to find something wrong with somebody because you don't feel good about you. And here's the thing is whenever you give your life to Christ, you allow God to begin to tra- change you and transform you. Your confidence comes from who you are in Christ, not from whose child you are or what education you have or what background you have. But it's who you are in Christ. And so whenever you become, you, be, you get to the point where you begin to understand who I am in Christ, you realize, you know, I'm a child of a king. You know, I, I, my Savior laid down his life for me. I was purchased with the highest price that could ever be paid. I am worth, I am worth something. I'm not worthy, but I'm worth something. And, and so the, the thing is, it begins to change how we view ourselves. And so do your words build up your family members? Do they build up your coworkers? Do they build up your boss? Do you, do you bosses, you guys who employ people, do you build up your workers? Do you speak life over them? Or do you tear them down? And so here's the thing is, are we a giver or are we a taker? Are we robbing them of life? Are we robbing them of motivation? Or are we encouraging them and affirming them? You know, all of us probably know somebody like this. There's, there's people in our life that we can get around them and, man, we just feel better. Like, you, you, you think, I mean, man, we need to get together more often because whenever you, you leave them, you feel better about yourself. Billy Hornsby was a friend of mine like that. You could get around Billy Hornsby, and man, he would just, he would always, hey, man, Tim, Mike, tell me about your family. Tell me about your church. Tell me about your ministry. Man, I, tell me what God's teaching you. Uh, there was a guy who was in the first service. He was one of my mentors. He's uh, passing through this morning, so they came to the first service. His name's Phil Wilson. And Phil Wilson was, was, is one of my mentors. He's kind of like my father in the faith in many ways and and phil always calls hey man tell me what god's teaching you i mean what's what's god how, what's how's your church doing how's your family doing how are your kids doing and, and man you just feel better and what they're doing is they're speaking life over hey i'm proud of you man you're doing a good job you're making a difference and so i'm just asking you do you have anybody in your life that does that and you might say well i don't have anybody that does that then you need to find some new friends maybe and here's the thing maybe you need to become that person 
And mom and dad, let me ask you, do you speak life over people in front of your children? Do you teach them to have integrity to where they're giving and not always on the take? And look at this next one. Do, does what you do help people or hurt people? What you do. Not only what you say, but what you do. So what you do. do does what you do help people or hurt people? Look at what it says here in Proverbs 3, 27. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is your power to help them. And so there's a couple of things. There's three things I want to share with you here that are ways that we, we, that we literally uh, we break this, this commandment here of not stealing. Number one is direct theft. Uh, I, I mentioned a little bit a while ago, coming up and stealing your, your box off, you know, your Amazon box off your front porch. You know, and this is terrible. And some of you guys may have seen this where somebody, they'll put a prank deal out there where somebody come up and they'll steal the box and they take off with it. And all of a sudden, it'll throw glitter everywhere or blow some kind of, you know, poop noise and stink stuff. And, 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 and you're sitting there smiling, going like, dude, that's awesome. I'm glad they got stuck, man. I'm glad they got caught or whatever. It's got a camera. It's got all that kind of stuff. And so here's something, like I said, we don't like thieves. And, and so maybe you're one of those where maybe you shoplifted. I can remember in high school, one of the wealthiest families in, in that whole community, their daughter got picked up for shoplifting. And I'm thinking, dude, her mom and dad could have bought the store. But it was the cool thing back then. I, I remember uh, uh, Swatch watches was a big thing to steal back in the day. And it was, it was kind of a popular thing among teenagers. Hey, it was a kind of peer pressure thing to steal. And here's the thing. What you're doing is you're breaking a covenant against the Holy God, a commandment against the Holy God. And, and so the thing is, is that is, that's direct theft. Most of us would agree, hey, that's wrong. You know, you see somebody steal something, shoplifting, arm robbery. You know, hey, it's wrong. You know, and we would all say, hey, we agree, that's wrong, Mike. You're, you're right, that's wrong. They shouldn't do that. But there's others. Here's another one. Here's fraud. Fraud is misrepresenting. Fraud is misrepresenting, if you will. And, and so there's some of us in this room that maybe we're guilty of fraud. Maybe we have, we have promised something, but we haven't followed through. We haven't honored our word. Maybe we said we were going to do something, but we never finished what we uh, said. And so fraud is, is one of those. And a good example of that can be half-hearted work, if you will. You know, like you, you work for an employer, and you work for this employer who pays you a wage, but you don't give them an honest day's work. And what you do is you literally sit there and you think about, what are ways to not work today? And so maybe you're one of those employees where you're always looking for a way to not really put in a full 40. You know, and that's the crazy thing. In, in our culture today, the whole mentality is, hey, 40 hours a week, off on Saturday and Sunday, you know, and that is the American dream. But that is not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches what? Work six days and rest one, right? That's what it teaches. We just don't like it. And, and, and so the thing is, is uh, we, we talk about fraud. So half-hearted work. Maybe, you, you know, you're one of those where you're always on Facebook or you're always on this or you're always on that. You're not doing your job. But if you go back and you look at whenever you got hired, you said, hey, listen, uh, how much are you paying? This is what I'm paying an hour. You go, okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll accept that. So you sign a thing. You do the W-2s. You get everything set up. And you have agreed to work for that amount, and then you walk out of there and you complain about what you make to your other, you know, employees, or maybe to your kids, or maybe to your family. And, and so the thing is, is we have a tendency to do that, and we don't give a honest day's wage. We complain about what we make, even though we agreed to it. So we're withholding what we agreed to, right? We said, hey, we'd be on time. We said we'd work eight hours. We said we'd give it our best. And here's the other thing: there's a passage that also teaches that if, maybe if you're the employer, you're the owner. That you should make sure that you pay your employees a fair wage. That you pay them what they, what they deserve. And too often we have this mentality that, hey, man, if I can get them cheap, man, all the better. That means I'm a good businessman. No, that means you're a, that means you're a shrewd businessman or either a cheat. 
And too often that's our whole mentality. If the cheaper I can get them, the better. The Bible says to pay them what they're worth. Pay them what they deserve. And, and, and so if you're on the owner side, employee side, or the employer side, you have to have that mentality. Hey, am I giving them what they deserve? I'll share this in the first service. I had an uncle when I first went into the ministry. There's two things he told me. He said, Mike, he said, if you're going to be in the ministry, he said, two things. He said, always wear a tie. I broke that rule. I don't wear ties very often. If I, if I wear a tie to a funeral or a wedding or something like that, I'm not, a, I'm not a tie kind of guy. He goes, always wear a tie. So I broke that. And the second one, he said, just keep in mind, churches always want to keep pastors poor and humble. And I'm like, what the heck does that mean? But that was his mentality. He had been in the ministry for years. But he said, the church wants to keep you poor and humble. And I'm like, that's the wrong mentality. When I said that, Phil laughed, but that is the mentality among churches sometimes. Hey, let's keep them poor and humble. It's not your job. And the thing is, is you bless someone. If you're an employer, you don't try to, hey, how can I keep my people as cheap as possible? You try to think, hey, how can I bless them? How can I bless them? If they're doing a good job, how can I bless them? How can I keep them here? I had a guy come uh, talk to me one time. He said, hey, listen. He said, uh, man, I think my boss is out to get me. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, he's always trying to uh, get rid of me. I said, are you a good employee? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, well, usually, let me say how it usually works. I said, if you're a good, if you're a good boss, you've got a good employee. I said, that good boss is going to try to do everything he can to keep that employee. If that employee is doing a really good job. And, uh, he, and I said, would you agree with that? And he was like, yeah. I said, well, are, are you on time every day? He goes, well, no. I said, do you work a solid, you know, eight hours, however long you have to be there? I said, do you give it your all all day long? He goes, well, no. I said, do you complain to the other employees about having to work? He goes, yeah. And so everything I asked was negative. And I said, dude, if I was your boss, I'd be trying to get rid of you too. You know, and he was like, he looked at me like he couldn't believe I said that. I said, but you're not a good employee. I said, you need to be a better employee. And, and so what happens sometimes is we kind of halfway give, you know, what we should at work. Or maybe as the boss, we don't give what we should is what people deserve. Here's another one, withholding love. So we've got direct theft, like shoplifting, arm robbery, and burglary. Most of us would agree, hey, that's it. Fraud, that's, that's a way of, of, of frauding people, of, of tricking people. And let me tell you one that falls under fraud before I jump to this next one, is gambling. Somebody's got to lose in gambling. A lot of people have to lose in gambling. A lot of, pe- a lot of, a lot of Christians, a lot of people this day and time don't want to say that gambling is wrong. Because, hey, they enjoy it. It's fun. You know, they'll, they'll beat a path to the next state if the jackpot gets big enough. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us to use our hands, to work hard, you know, and that we're not trying to make a killing off of someone else's losses. I remember whenever they were putting in the, the casinos down in, in uh, southern Mississippi. Man, everybody was saying, hey, listen, man, it's going to be great for the economy and all this stuff. And you ought to talk to the counselors and the pastors and the people that work in that area of how it has destroyed so many families. Because it sucks the life out of people. They, they go in there with hopes and dreams, and it's false hopes and dreams. There's a reason they can build the big casinos. There's a reason, because they know that they're going to keep most of it, right? So they're robbing people. And you might say, well, Mike, I work at a casino. That's up to you. But I'm just saying, we have to be careful that we don't just make something okay because it may be legal. There's plenty of things that are legal in our nation that I'll just tell you are not biblical. And so we've got to be able to say, God, what does your word say? So here's the third one, or the third one down here is also withholding love. Withholding love. That love could be withholding love from a child. You know, you, you say, well, my dad wasn't loving towards me. Well, don't be like your dad. Be like the God that created you. Be like the loving father that we have, who is a loving father. You might say, well, you know, my mom was not loving. Doesn't matter. You learn to be loving. You love your child. You, you love on your child. You, you uh, care for them. You give them good instructions. 
And, and so the thing is, you, maybe you were raised in a home like mine. You don't have to continue to be that way. You can change that. And, and so we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, help me to be different in this area. Here's another one. It says in verse in First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, verse five says, "Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent." Last week we talked about intimacy, and so we don't want to be uh, withholding, you know, ourselves from our spouse. There are times whenever you know, watch. Hey, I got a headache tonight. It's not what the Bible says is okay. It says, "Hey, listen, if you're going to uh, not have intimacy, there has to be for a time of prayer." Listen, let me read it again. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So if you're using that in your marriage as a reward for your spouse, that's not biblical. If you're using it as punishment for your spouse, that's not biblical. What you're doing is you're robbing them and withholding from them what is due to them according to God's covenant and the covenant of marriage. Now, it's not something that you use against him to say, hey, well, you're going to have sex anytime I want to. But the thing is, what you're saying is because I love you, I will meet this need, and because I want to honor God, I'm not going to use my body against uh, you as a weapon or the lack of me giving myself. And so parents not showing their child love. And here's another one, parents, uh, or I should say to the kids, you not showing your parents respect. Over and over throughout Scripture, it says, honor your mom and your dad. Respect your mom and dad. And so there's some teenagers in here, and there's some young people in here, and there's some adults in here. That here's the thing, you have been robbing your mom and, their da- and your dad of what is due them, and that is respect or honor. And so you say, well, you know, I've never stole anything. You've stole what is due them. You're withholding what is due them. And, and so we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, help me to overcome these areas. And God, help me to line it with your word. Look at what it says in Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Look at this. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not... Uh, covet and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law what is that passage saying hey listen if you've got a neighbor that you should be showing love to then love them love them enough to cut their grass love them enough to take them a meal love them enough to go pray for them love them enough to go do something that shares the love of christ you got a family member man if you really care about them, then love them. And so what the Scripture is saying, hey, listen, don't withhold love. Don't withhold love from your parents. Don't withhold love from your kids. Don't withhold love from your family members. But if anything, show love. And by showing the love, you literally line up with God's Word. Look about this. We need to teach children integrity in this area, our relationship with God. When it comes to God, are you a giver or a taker? Most of us in this room, we want to be givers. You know, we say that, but really we're taking and God is the giver. If we're going to model ourselves after anybody, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life, he gave his life. He laid it down. He didn't, he wasn't forced to, but he laid down his life. God the Father sent his only son to die that we might live. And so when it comes to God, are you a giver or are you a taker? And then it's a question or a statement here. It says, are you showing thankfulness to him by living a life serving him, loving him, and worshiping him? Are you living, are you showing thankfulness to him by living a life serving him? So let me ask you, this is an easy one. Let's kind of just ask ourselves, you know, maybe right here in the room, am I serving God in any capacity? Am I serving my church? Am I serving my neighbor? Am I serving my family? Am I serving my spouse? Am I serving my boss? Am I serving my coworkers? Am I serving anybody? Because here's the thing, whenever we serve them, we're serving God. 
And so am I serving anybody? Am I loving him? Do I love God? There's some in this room that maybe you're bitter at God. You're angry at God. My brother, whenever you know, he was going through a tough time in his life, I remember he was just bitter and angry towards God. And it just grieved my spirit every time I would get around him and hear him talk. And about a month before he died, he died at the age of 40. He called me and he said, hey, listen, I just wanted to tell you I made peace with God. He was the best phone call I ever got. And, and it gave me a peace knowing that he was at peace with God before he died. And, and so the thing is, is there's some of us that, man, we're not loving God. And if you're loving him, is it evident to the people around you that you love him? And, man, that you, you can't get enough of him. Or, or what do they see? What do they see in you? And then here's the other one, worshiping him. Like singing songs. Man, that's a great part of it. Earlier, just worshiping who he is. You know, and maybe it's just watching a sunset or a sunrise. Or maybe you walk into the room and you watch your child sleeping. Or maybe you watch your, your wife or your husband, you know, doing what they do. Maybe they're working or whatever. And you just realize how blessed you are. You know, maybe, maybe you gather, you know, with other believers and you, you teach the Word of God. And you just kind of sit back and you go, you know, God, thank you for people who love you. And you just worship the God who created everybody. And so our relationship with God, are we giving God his due? Look at this uh, passage here, Malachi 3, 8 says, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. He said, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. And, and so what we, we look at that and we often go, all right, I knew Mike was going to touch on that because there, in some translations it says you rob God. But I think most of us in this room, we know that to be truth. The first 10% of whatever we make, it's God's, it's not mine. But here's the thing I want you to get. Look at this next passage. It says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and has, who was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And so here's the thing. Everything, everything that we have is His. Look at that next statement. It says, as followers of Christ, you and I have been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus. So if I have been bought... And purchased by the blood of Christ. I no longer belong to Mike. I can remember whenever I was 19 years old. And I got on my knees. And I said, Jesus, if you'll come in, into my life. And if you'll save me. I'll give you my life. He purchased me with his blood. He saved me by the blood that was shed on the cross. He washed away my sins. He made me clean, clean before a holy God. And so here's the thing. I gave him my life. I, I willingly surrendered my life. I said, Lord, I don't know what you'll do with me. But here I am. And so here's the thing. I'm not my own anymore. I've been purchased. And so anything that I do that I withhold from the one who owns me is stealing. He gave you the gift of mercy. Are you using the gift of mercy? He gave you the gift of teaching. Are you using the gift of teaching? He gave you the gift of craftsmanship. Are you using those gifts to build and to do things for the kingdom of God? He gave you the gift of giving. Do you give? So anything that you withhold from this holy God who has redeemed you, who has saved you as a follower of Christ, you're stealing from him. You're robbing him. You're cheating him. Now, the tithe is a symbol. Tithe is much like this ring. This ring is not what makes me married. And me tithing does not make me holy. But the thing is, is it does signify and it does symbolize, you know what, that my trust is in God for the finances in my life. God, I trust you and I'm giving you the first, first fruits of my life. I want you to have the first fruits, God. You're, you're what is most important. You're first. And so whenever I give that tithe and I return that tithe, it's His. So anything I give above and beyond that, you know, that, that's just me saying, God, I love you so much more than just what I owe, which is yours. But I surrender it to you. And so as Christ followers, as followers of Christ, you and I have been bought and paid for by the blood of our Lord Jesus. And who we are and what we have belongs to him. Everything is his. So that means with 
uh, when, when we withhold our lives and our gifts from Him, we're robbing Him. When we sit on the sidelines of ministry and we don't do anything, we don't serve in any capacity in the church, we don't serve in any part of the kingdom, we're robbing Him. So many of us are guilty of robbing God of what is due whenever He said, hey, listen, I have blessed you, I have given you, you know, the opportunity to do some things. Let's flip over to the next one here. Is our, number two is our children need us to teach them that work is a blessing. Now, this is a tough one because some of you guys don't see it that way. But let me just say this. We need to teach. Parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children that work is a blessing. It is not a curse. There's nowhere in Scripture where it says that working is a curse. You might, you might say, well, Mike, back in, back in Genesis, I thought God cursed you know, uh, you know, the sin and everything and they had to work. No, if you go back, whenever they were placed in the garden, God told them, he said, work the garden. Work the garden. So the work was part of the blessing. It was part of paradise. Most of you guys, whenever you think of paradise, you're thinking of some tropical island with some kind of coconut drink in your hand and not ever having to work again. Let me just tell you, that's not what God's view is. That may be your mentality, you know, but that's not what God's plan is. God says, hey, to work, and that work is a blessing. Work is a good thing. And I, I know some of you guys don't believe it because I see what you post on Monday. You know what I'm saying? You whine and complain about having to go to work. Talk about it being a Monday. It is a Monday. Thank God it's Monday, right? It could have, been, could have been your last day on Sunday. You know, so the thing is, is here's the thing. We've got to change our mentality. And mom and dad, if you're going to teach your kids that work is a blessing, you need to change your mentality. You need to be willing to say, you know what? Work is a blessing. God gave me a job. God allows me to provide for my family. Is it hard work? Yes. Is it difficult work? Yes. But that hard work and that difficult work is also what makes me who I am. It shapes me. It molds me. It makes me a better person. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to see that it is a blessing. It says we need to model a healthy rhythm of working hard, playing hard, and resting well. And so if you want to model something for your kids, we need to model a healthy rhythm of working hard. Again, remember what the Bible says? Work six days and then rest one. Not work 40 hours, get two days off, and kind of be, you know, kind of lay around. That's not what it says. It says to work hard six days and rest one. So if we really want to line up with Scripture... We've got to be willing to work hard and see it as a blessing. And then the next one there is playing hard. I think, it's, I think it's important for us to play, to have fun with your kids, have fun with friends. I mean, it's good to do that and to do it in a way that honors God. And here's the thing, that meant it builds fellowship, it builds relationships. And then the last one is resting well. There's some of us that don't know how to rest. You don't know how to do, just relax. You don't know how to just kind of take it easy. You always want to go, 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 and your body is wearing out. And you need to be willing to rest. Take some time and just chill, relax, rest. There was a statement I saw this past week that I thought was good. Listen to this. It says, work is as much of a basic human need as beauty, I mean, as food, rest, and friendship. Sociological studies show that without meaningful work, people suffer emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Whenever they don't have a job, they begin to struggle. Lori and I were talking about this last night. Oftentimes in third world countries, one of the biggest problems is that it's not necessarily, the, it's just there's no work. There's nothing to do. There's no, there's no work whatsoever. And they lose hope and they lose purpose. And they begin to struggle. And, and so you may not realize this, but God has given you the ability to work. And He wants you to work. He wants you to use your hands. He wants you to use your abilities. I mentioned it in the first service that oftentimes there are people who work so hard to retire. And their whole mentality is, one day I won't have to work. So we work hard, hard, hard. So we won't ever have to work again. And then we watch them fade away and die pretty quickly. I was joking with Mr. Clarence, who was in the first service, who's 82 years old, who's up here just about every day, helping out with maintenance in some way. And I, I told him, you know, I said, 
I remember meeting him 15 years ago, and he, he had already was outlived his family, the men in his family, by about a year. And he was kind of concerned. I said, Mr. Clarence, I said, when God gets ready to take you home, he'll take you home. I said, the thing you want to do is you want to live and you want to do the best you can while you can here. And he's 82 years old and he's up here serving nearly every day of the week. And I, I told him, I said, you know what? You don't know it, but we're keeping you alive by working you up here. And uh, he can thank me later. But I'm just saying, that's, that's part of what's keeping him going. How many of us know people that retire, man, within weeks or months are gone? It's because, you know, God is not about idleness. And if we think that, hey, God wants me to be idle and not do anything, you're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. He wants to be busy about the things that matter, the things that have eternal impact. And too often we bought into the American dream that, hey, man, if I get a big enough nest egg, I won't ever have to do anything. It's not what God teaches. That's what America teaches. God's Word teaches that we're to make a difference and make a difference all we can while we can. It says, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. This is Paul teaching. He says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. That sounds like politicians to me. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. That's scripture. Work to earn your own living. Don't wait for somebody else to hand things out. You know, but you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to work. I'm going to use my hands. I'm going to use my abilities. I mean, there's a lot of people I know that don't have the use of their legs anymore that would like to be able to walk to work. A lot of people that maybe have lost their hands, maybe fighting to, our, to defend our freedoms that would like to have their hands back. Man, they don't have them anymore, but they still press on. And so here we are with able bodies that oftentimes we don't even want to work. Man, that's a, that's a shame and a disgrace. Number three, our, our children need us to teach them generosity. Our children need us to teach them generosity. The opposite of taking from others what you have earned, not earned is to give to others what you have earned. See, I think that we're supposed to teach our children that it's okay to, to work and to work hard. And here's the thing, is to look for ways to bless others. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. God doesn't want you to just save up and build up all the money that you can build up so that you can tell everybody how much you got. He wants you to have so much so that you can bless so many. And, and so we, we, we try to teach our children this. And this is something that I challenge you as a church. You know, look for somebody, an opportunity to bless somebody, you know, buy them a meal or whatever. A few years ago, we were, Laura and I, uh, we, or the church, I had told everybody, I said, hey, I want you to take these cards. And these cards you took out and you would go somewhere, you'd buy somebody a meal and you would just say, hey, listen, uh, I just want you to give this people this card. That's it. We didn't want any recognition of it. We just wanted them to have that card. Say, hey, this is some, God's simple way of saying we love you. And he does too. And, and so, so I got the boys together. Laura was having to work that night. So we went to a little restaurant. And uh, I told them, I said, hey, pick out what family you want to buy their meal. And, and so they, they were looking around. I picked out this, this family. had a couple of kids. And I said, all right, we'll take care of their meal. So we get down and. And we, we pray and we talk about what we're doing. I give it to the waitress and say, hey, listen, we're going to pay for that family's meal over there. I said, but don't tell them who did it. I said, and, uh, I said, but I want you to give them this card. And so we gave them that card. And so they take it over. And, uh, and of course, they start looking around. I'm like, hey, y'all act like, you know, so we were, you know, didn't want them to know it was us or whatever. So we see them get up. They walk out. They're smiling. They're, you can tell they made their day. And, uh, and so I walk up to the counter and I told the lady, I said, hey, listen, I said, I said I'm paying for, uh, for ours. I said, and that couple that just walked out. And I reached my wallet, and I'm like, where's my wallet? <laughs> and I thought, man, they're going to think I'm trying to scam them. You know, and uh, so I had, I had to get on the phone, and I had to call a buddy of mine. I said, hey, listen, where are you at? And he goes, I'm at Radio Shack. It was back when Radio Shack was still here. And I said, you have your wallet on you? He goes, yeah. I said, can you bring your wallet? I said, to uh, Country's Barbecue. I said, <laughs> and I told him what happened, and uh, he just came in laughing. He was like, man, that is funny. And uh, so he paid it, and, and I said, I'll pay you back. He goes, no, no, no. He said, this is worth it just to have this on you for the rest of your life. And uh, <laughs> 
he said, this is awesome. Well, I had breakfast with him two weeks ago. And uh, he lives in North Carolina, and he was coming through town. And he said, he goes, and, and he goes, you remember that time? At, and I'm like, yes, I remember. You know, so, but here's the thing. I was trying to teach my kids to bless someone. And mom and dad, have, when was the last time you taught your kids to bless someone? Instead of always looking for something for us, have you, have you just thought about, hey, how can we be a blessing to someone? How can we as a family bless someone? And I know a lot of times we always think, well, Mike, you just don't know how tight it is at our house. I didn't say it had to be a big blessing. I mean, there's little blessings that go a long way. And so I think it's important for us to teach our children. Look at what it says here in Acts 20, verses 33 through 35. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know, you know that these hands of mine have worked hard, worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example. This is Paul again teaching. I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. See, part of our motivation to work hard ought to be so we can help others. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul is saying, hey, remember what Jesus said? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I, I think most of us in this room, we, we, we've heard that, but 99% of the people in this room are thinking, I want to be on the receiving end. I want to be on the receiving part of blessing. But Jesus said it's more blessed to give. So most of us, instead of wanting to be a giver, we want to be a taker. And, and so think about this. Like if, if I walked out and I had two brownies and this was the bigger one, and I said, hey, which one do you want? Most of y'all would choose what? The bigger brownie, if you're being honest. I would. i pick the bigger brownie. I might say, hey, listen, I don't need that big one. You go ahead and take it. And they'd be like, no, no. And I'd be like, okay. You know, I mean, that's the way I would do it. But here's the thing. If somebody said, hey, here's a $10 bill or $5 bill. Which one do you want? Which one y'all going to choose? See, y'all a bunch of takers. That's what I said. So here's the thing. is That's our mentality. We want more. And Jesus says, if you want more, you give. If you want the greater blessing, you give. And, and I'm telling you, in our mentality, our jacked up, you know, sinful mentality, it's about me. It's what I want. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. It's I want someone to be blessed so that they can bless me. That's our mentality. We, we don't think about, God, will you bless me so that I can bless others? That's a rare person in our society, I'm just telling you, that would say, God, bless me so that I can be a blessing to many. Most people are saying, God, bless them so they can bless me. There's a statement. You've probably heard me say it a thousand times. You've heard it a thousand times, probably other places as well. You can't outgive God. You'll never be able to outgive God. I can remember times whenever God would put it on my heart to, to bless someone or do something. And I can remember thinking, you know, doing my, my math, going, mm, I don't know if we can swing that, but God, okay. And I would bless someone. And I didn't give it to get a blessing, but it was a blessing to be able to bless that family. And then somehow, way, God would always return that tenfold, it seemed like. I'm telling you, He's faithful. We're not, but He is. And, and, and so, you can't outgive God. A guy wrote a book. I remember him telling that whole story about he started giving things away. And he said, every time I'd give it away, God would give me something bigger or better. He said, I can remember sitting in my house. He said, I just gave my house away. He said, I was like, all right, God, we'll see what you can do. And he said, God literally took care of everything that he had done. He gave away, gave away everything he had. He said, I kept trying to outgive God. He said, and I finally realized I can't outgive him. He said, I've just learned to receive the blessings and become a channel of blessing to others. So here's some next steps for me today or for you. Maybe you say, I will model integrity for my family. I'll do the right thing. I won't steal. But I'll model integrity. Some of you guys might say, well, I don't have kids. Well, model it for your mom and dad. 
See, I grew up in a home where my mom and dad didn't model integrity. But I could have modeled it for them. I'll model integrity for my family. Maybe you'd say, I'll model integrity for the guys around me. Many of you in this room, you've got friends around you that they're thieves. You know it. They'll steal something in a heartbeat. They'll take the wrong path. Model integrity. The next one there says, I will model a good work ethic for my family. Instead of whining and complaining about your job, you go and you work your job and you do the best you can. And you tell them what a blessing it is to be, have a job. And you use the, the resources that God provides through that to take care of your family. And here's the thing, you become a person who wants to bless others. The next one, it says, I will model a spirit of contentment for my family. I'll be content with what I have. Boy, that's a rare thing in this day and time, isn't it? We always want more. We always want the next toy, the new car, the bigger house, you know, the trip that everybody else is doing. We always want more, more, more. What if we were to begin to model what Scripture teaches, that to become tent, content in all circumstances, and that we're good with what we've got? We've got more than enough to feed our family. We've got more than enough to literally have savings. We've got more than enough. Why don't we start looking for ways to bless others? And that last one says, I will model a spirit of generosity for my family. I will model a spirit of generosity for my family. Mom and Dad, one of the best ways you could do that is every week for your children to see you put your tithe in an offering basket. Or to see you write a check. Or to see you go to the kiosk and do that. But begin to teach them that. And maybe if they make some money, maybe they cut grass or maybe they they do some babysitting. And you teach them, hey, listen, the first 10% of that, that belongs to God. I want to encourage you to tie. And here's the thing, you can't make them. Now, some of y'all might make them, but really it's their choice. Because if you're forcing them, they're missing the blessing. But you look for a way to bless somebody today. Maybe today when you guys go to lunch, you pick out a family and you just bless them. You tell the waitress, don't tell them who did it. Just tell them, say, hey, God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. That's all I want you to tell them. And just bless somebody. But bless his kingdom. Bless missionaries. Look for someone and give and receive the greater blessing.